0: You're listening to The Rouge Report, brought to you by Young's Equipment, your MacDon headquarters. When you're in the field this harvest, let MacDon lead the way. MacDon headers are built tough to deliver worry-free harvesting performance with any crop, in any condition, and on any combine. Remember to go to youngs.ca and use the podcast code ROUGE, that's R-O-U-G-E, for your chance to win a rider's prize package. Welcome to The Rouge Report, presented by Young's Equipment. I'm Cody
1: Fajardo. And I'm Isaac Harker. Follow along as we tackle CFL topics one point at a time. A Rough Rider Podcast. Welcome back listeners. Today, we have a very special guest, the boss man, Craig Reynolds, CEO and president of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I loved our conversation with him. I think we got some great tidbits and a lot of good information that the fans are going to absolutely love. But uh, Isaac, we should be in Canada right now. I'm and,
0: missing it so much. And for
1: me, it's been weird. Five years I've been up in Canada at this time. For you personally, Uh, have you been to Canada before you had to report to rookie minicamp or was that your first time in Canada?
0: No, that was my first time in Canada. So I remember just being like really stoked to come up and, and see everything and especially just get the pads on and start throwing it around. But I actually have a funny story about my first impression of Canada and how it was kind of a good omen for things to come. I think, because like obviously I'm a big coffee guy. Everyone knows this, (laughs) but I, we land and I'm in the airport. And I go to Tim Hortons to get a coffee just because it was a layover in Toronto, I think. And I paid with a $20 bill. And I get back like $23 and I'm like, I love this place. (laughs) Do they know math
1: in Canada? Is that what you're
0: thinking? (laughs) I was like, if they're going to pay me to drink coffee, I'm going to be rich by the end of this.
1: (laughs) We got too much coffee. We got to start paying people to drink it.
0: That's hilarious. Yeah, getting the Canadian money back. I remember putting it on my leg and sending a picture of it to uh, my parents and a couple of my close friends from back home. Be like, look, I got Canadian money for the first time. Like... Ear starts the journey. I don't
1: know if this is true or not. People have told me this, and I don't know if it's psychologically in my head, but I've been told that the $100 bill smells like maple syrup. So now every time I smell it, I smell the maple and I tell other people that some people smell it, some people don't. So I don't know if it's psychologically in my mind. Have you smelt the $100 bill? Have I put you through that?
0: <laughs> you You were the one who put me through this and I remember putting <laughs> it up to my nose and you laughing. I'm like, well, I look so dumb right now. I'm, I'm in the camp, no smell. I don't think okay. it smells.
1: I'm full send. I'm in the camp. It smells like maple syrup. I'm about to put it on my pancakes and eat up a couple hundred dollar I remember my first Canadian story was I flew into Toronto. I was really nervous. They gave me about 60 bucks or 50 bucks, like, hey, go get something to eat. I didn't get in because I was coming from the West Coast. I didn't get in until super late. Nothing was really open and I was starving. So I walked over to a gas station. I got like a bag of chips and a Gatorade and I gave them, you know, five bucks or 10 bucks. And I got a bunch of coins back And I'm thinking in my head, like, this guy knew I was American. He definitely just ripped me off. Like, he just gave me coins. And I got back to my room and I remember asking one of the other players that was already there. I was like, what do these coins mean? He's like, Oh, this is a loony, this is worth one dollar, and this is a toonie worth two dollars. And I'm like, Oh, that makes so much sense. I thought this guy like pocketed like four dollars off of me because he saw I was some American kid just trying to figure out Canada. So that was my first initial you know canadian story so we kind of have completely different stories where you got paid to buy something and i felt like i got ripped off to buy something but last last night so last night i was watching uh netflix and i was watching major league two have you ever seen major league two
0: I think I've seen the first one but I don't think oh, I've man. seen number
1: 2. Okay, that show is absolutely hilarious and and it just kind of got me thinking what is your top 3 sports movies of all time? Could be any could be football, hockey, baseball, just um what, what are your top 3? And I think this might create some controversy but uh what, what would you say your top 3
2: are?
0: Oh man and right off the bat, I'm only thinking of football games or <laughs> football mo- <laughs> football movies. So I won't track mine. <laughs> but yeah, so remember the Titans, obviously. That's, mm. I think, my all time favorite sports movie. And no doubt. Or, that's, I mean, that's great. That's got to be one, right? Mm-hmm. And like, there's so much depth to it that, like, even as a young kid, I remember like watching it and being like football movie. And then you like grow up and you watch it again and just realize the, insane implications that that story has on the world at large even like to this day so okay so one is remember the titans at the top number two the replacements with oh, keanu love, reeves. love 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 i love keanu reeves and man that movie is so funny and i feel like i, I watched it like a couple months back and there's just stars in that movie that i just like didn't remember being in the movie. I'm still, I still don't know the guy's name, but the linebacker in that movie is really funny and just, just a classic uh, comedy sports movie.
1: All right, what's three? It can't be of another football movie. Give me something from another <laughs> sport. <laughs>
0: Okay. Um let me just leave through some movies here. Uh let's go with uh, DVDs or VHSs <laughs> over there? Yeah, we're uh copying the VHSs to DVDs. Uh <laughs> let's go Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner. Field of Dreams, okay. Um I remember uh man,
1: what was the movie Zach told us to watch in training camp? It was uh, a baseball movie. Oh, I wish I'll have to. It'll it'll come to me. But um, yeah, I I remember watching Field of Dreams a while ago, and um, I haven't seen it since. So I think I gotta go back down memory lane and just see how good it was. Bull Durham was the movie that Zach wanted us Bull to watch. Durham, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the movie. Okay, for me, top three replacements I think would be number three. Like, I love that movie. I could watch it over and over and over again. Number two might be Miracle. I watched that recently mm. and it just got me so fired up. And just like the underdog story, like that's what I'm always pulling for and rooting for. And um, I, I I just am a big fan of that movie. And being partial Canadian now, you can see that my uh hockey has really taken, you know, flight because you're around it. I'm around it six months out of the year of just nonstop hockey talk, which is great. And I've learned so much. So uh, one would have to be Moneyball. I love Moneyball. Oh, and man. The, re- the reason I love Moneyball is just the business in me. I like seeing both sides of it. I like seeing the game. And I like seeing the business behind the game. Um, and I think that that kind of ties in well with uh, our guest today, Craig Reynolds is because Obviously he's not a player, but he's personnel. And we talk a little bit about how he is on game day and just getting the other side of it from just separating yourself as just an athlete to seeing the personnel side. I think you get a brighter picture of how many people, you know, are employed by the team and how many people it takes to get just a normal game day exactly where they want it. And and that's truly incredible.
0: Yeah, I, I agree on that front. I mean, moneyball. I I just spaced that one, but one of my favorites. Okay, just just on the flip side, like talking about sports movies, sometimes it's hard to get the action scenes just right. So, like, I feel like there's such a divide between, like, a good sports movie and bad sports movie just because of, like, the action. It either looks so fake or it looks really real.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Football, for sure, it's really hard. I think someone who – the the best football movie in terms of filming wise, I think it might be uh, Friday night lights. Like I feel like mm-hmm. they did a great job with that. If you watch like any given Sunday, you can't even watch the game without like getting a headache because all the football <laughs> scenes, the cameras just bouncing around everywhere. So yeah, I think that's a great point. I think, especially in football, um, obviously baseball or like, uh, basketball movies are a little bit easier to film, but I think that is true and it holds true in football movies that the filming is just very tough. Okay, so this week on our X's and O's, um, last week we talked about cut coverage. Now I want to talk about what we call hold coverage. And so hold coverage is in south down south football, we talk about cover three where the corners bail and then some sort of linebacker or halfback plays the flat coverage. Um, Usually you see it with the one high. There's multiple ways you can run it, especially with 12 guys on the field. Um, But for you, Isaac, give me your best hold beater. Um, in terms of your offensive play that you would call,
0: okay, I like I like throwing a deep comeback against hold coverage. You got to have something going into the the hold player's kind of uh, radius so that he'll be pulled to that and won't get under the comeback. So if you ran a guy on a split hold, the middle safety, run the outside guy into the boundary on a leopard, and then have a drag coming in that will force the hold defender to to play true because if he does drop under it, you can just hit the drag or the under coming into your vision but if he stays true to his zone and covers the under then you got a pretty good matchup on a corner who's retreating on a comeback route
1: yeah um i mean that's You know, textbook right there. For me, I think it's like we we call them okie routes. You know, ten yard outs, something where the corners bailing and you can throw it quick enough where the linebacker or halfback can't get underneath it. Um, I think what's what's good for fans to know is that these coverages can be combo coverages. So a lot of times teams can play a, a mix of man and zone, or they can play two different zones. So we talked about the cut coverage last week, where the corners in the flat and the halfbacks over the top. Now this hold coverage, the corners over the top and the halfbacks low playing the flat. And so sometimes you'll see cut coverage usually to the boundary because the corner is there for a little bit more support and you'll see that hold coverage to the field where you can have a halfback who can cover a lot of range Um, which is very fascinating because sometimes you look at half the defense and you see okay it's cut coverage and then you look to the boundary and like wait that looks like hold and so sometimes it plays a little bit of tricks on you and if you have certain concepts to beat hold coverage uh, you better be going to the hold coverage side or else because the hold coverage beaters are not good against cut coverage right so um Mm -hmm. if you want to talk about you know combo coverages off zones because there's so many zones defenses can play um you know just how what do you look for we just say we just broke the huddle we're going to the line what's your indicator where do your eyes go uh first and foremost to see your uh, defense
0: yeah so a lot of times i'm looking in general areas so like you look at the at the depths of the deep player. So if everyone's on the same line, you better be thinking sting, or else you might get your head knocked off. But other than that, it's, it's kind of like a lot of times it's leverages on our receiver. So if it's quads, you're looking, you're looking at the boundary half. And if it's, week you're looking at the sam you're just you're trying to figure out are they playing man that's my first thought is this, is this let's, man or is this more of a zone contour?
1: a little bit more into that i think so fans can know so a sam backer is if we're in just three receivers to the field and two receivers to the boundary usually that sam defender is the guy who's covering the third receiver so the closest guy to the quarterback and then the boundary half when we go four receivers to the field and one receiver to the boundary Uh, he has to declare, does he come over and play man-to-man coverage, which Isaac was talking about, or does he stay backside? And then that kind of tells you about his own coverage. So uh, go ahead.
0: Yeah, so obviously levels to check for sting is my first thought. But other than that, I'm trying to determine man or zone. And once you determine zone, then you can start uh, determining who's covering what. So a lot of plays like curl flat, you're reading the, the curl flat defender. So... If it's hold, you're reading the low player. Does he go with the flat? You can throw the curl. Does he stay back with the curl? You hit the flat. So a lot of times it's your area reading whoever's covering the the stretch, the vertical stretch or the horizontal stretch, depending on what play you're running that, that down.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I, I mean, I think that's great stuff. Um, I, I remember talking to you a little bit earlier in the year, um, and you wanted to know every single zone coverage and every single combo zone coverage that defenses run. And I was like, Isaac, if you try and do that, I don't think you'll sleep because there's not enough hours in the week to know that. And so what was best for I think our progression and progression for you was just understanding the difference between man and zone. And you don't quite have to know exactly what the zone is, but you just need to know it's zone coverage where they're not locking in man and your receivers. And I think that for me always helps me because there are so many different variations of zone that we can get as quarterbacks. Um, But for us, we just want to know if my guy's going to be tracked by one single guy, or if I'm trying to move a defender with my eyes to open up an area to throw the football in their zone. And and I think that's what helped me progress. And
0: I'm sure it helped you um, also progress. Yeah, and uh, one one big thing that was kind of a a jump for me was letting go a little bit because in CFL ball you don't really set your own protections, but I had always throughout college and high school I was setting my own protections, so it was kind of strange to let go. I remember talking to Zach Caleros about like if the Sam comes here, I need I need to know if he's coming, and then or if it's the boundary half coming, I need to know he and he just like went why. And I was like, it kind of like made me step back and look at the bigger picture. It's like, they're setting the protections. You just need to know when you're hot or when it's sting or when you can't handle it, if it's a 50 pro. So that was yeah. kind of something that I uh, opened my eyes a little bit and helped streamline prep the preparation process, but especially a little bit. with,
1: a 20-second play clock, right? You, You can't do all that. You can't set a protection, see the defense audible out in 20 seconds. And I think fans also need to realize this too. Like in the NFL, it's so easy to line up in one formation, see what they're giving you. And then check to a completely different play because you have 40 seconds. For us, it's like get on the ball. Okay, what defense? Are they? Okay, we got to snap it. And uh, and it makes it tough for a quarterback to go through his checklist before you know once you break the huddle of what coverage is and where you're going to go with the football. And that was something I had to learn. I had to learn to speed up my process of my checklist. And I couldn't imagine if I had to set protections and see concepts and see defenses. I mean, I feel like that would just be too much on a quarterback's plate.
0: And just to piggyback on that a little bit, you're talking about a lot of times in the NFL or down south ball with a heavy play clock, you can make checks and make audibles, but then that also leaves time for the defense to check your check and get into a different play based on what you got to. But I think it can become an advantage in the CFL. If your team has has worked diligently on it and can get in and out of checks really quickly, they don't have time to check your check, and you can kind of exploit them in that way.
1: Exactly, and I think we did that a lot last year, which was great. And, and a lot of fans will see that when the receivers run to the line and then stop, and that's us just getting a snapshot of the defense and seeing what defense they're in, then I call a quick play. They don't have time to check the check and we're in the exact play we want against the exact defense we want. So,
0: and without further ado, we just want to get into our episode with the CEO and president, Craig Reynolds. Enjoy. Well, Rodgers fans, we have a very special episode today. We got our guest in the studio at his studio. And our guest today is Craig Reynolds, the CEO and president of The Rider. So, welcome to the show.
2: Well, thanks for having me, guy. This is pretty exciting for me.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, talking to the boss here, I think um,
1: we got the first hard hitting question for you How much green do you have in your closet?
2: Oh, God. This is an excellent question because I just actually did all this, you know, I guess I'll call it free time. And, in sort of this this COVID, COVID world we're all living in right now, I actually went through and organized my closet. So I have uh, probably fair to say a ridiculous amount of amount of green. Um, you know, actually, what I've noticed though, guys, is is the last little bit of of merchandise uh, from New Era's had a fair bit more black and, and gray mm. with it. So it's kind of diversified a little bit. But I actually have a green section of my closet, if you can imagine it. So it's all sort of rider gear. And which you know, obviously, is predominantly green. There's a little bit of white in there, and now a little bit of black mixed in. But I'd say it's a good twenty-five to thirty percent of my closet is just green merchandise, and and that's the
1: that's the answer I was expecting, honestly. Because I mean, I've been with the club for a year now, and I'm already seeing the green kind of take over. So. I couldn't imagine, you know, being with the club for, you know, 10 years and ha- and having that much green. So that was the answer I was hoping you'd hit us with.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, you get a lot of green and it, it, it's awesome. And it's, it's great. People love merchandise like for Christmas and stuff. People know what they're getting from me, right? It's, it's right. <laughs> <merchandise.
0: laughs> uh, Cody, I don't know about you, but it's, it's really nice to be finally joined by a fellow quarterback on this episode.
2: Yeah, I oh. agree. Yeah, I agree. He just gets it. Three Saskatchewan quarterbacks, right? What could be be better?
0: Could you could you talk a little bit about your time playing Q and if it has led to any skills being developed that you use today?
2: Well, there were there were I'll I'll just start it off by saying there were absolutely no skills displayed when I was a quarterback. (laughs) So (laughs) I probably get there were probably were some skills I learned from it. But one of the skills was. You know, and, and, and I'll probably start here just because I actually was a receiver. So I wasn't supposed to be a quarterback. And what happened was, and I grew up in a, in a small town, as I think uh, you guys know, it's a, a town called Foam Lake, which is about an hour east of, of Yorkton in sort of the east central part of the province. And we had a small town, so it was about 1,500 people. And we, had, we would bounce between nine-man football and six-man football. And so the year I was entering grade twelve, I was actually a receiver in, in in earlier years, and and our quarterback actually got got mono, and so I was I guess the backup quarterback. I didn't even know I really was the backup quarterback. Uh, <laughs> Coach Short told me I was I was going to be the quarterback that year when he told me I was I guess I was the backup as well. So so I kind of got thrown into it, and and so that's probably the the lesson I learned the most is just you got to be I guess a, adaptable. So. But no, I wasn't good. It, and the the uh, the joke is, and, and this was when I got the job to be CEO. This this came out because they asked me about um, my experience, my football experience, because the previous CEO, Jim Hobson, he he played in the CFL for for many years and was was sort of had lots of football experience. And so the the obvious question, which I was prepared for, was, um, you know, you don't seem to have any football experience. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. You seem like you're discounting my zero Owen six record as starting quarterback <laughs> for the Palm Lake Panthers because we lost we lost every game that we we played that year and every game that I, I, I started as as quarterback and it actually got so bad that we showed up to one of the towns I forget which town I wish I could remember so I could shame them on this podcast but <laughs> we go up at, we'd go up at one of these towns and there was a big poster and it was guaranteed win night. They had guaranteed oh, that they were going to beat Foam Lake. <laughs> and it was actually it was actually the closest game. We almost won that game because we oh, were Oh, no. No, we lost. I know, but we were so angry because it was you know, guaranteed win night, uh, you know, that night. But anyways, it was – I wish I could find – there's another – there's some video footage. And, and I, I go to drop back. And I trip over my own legs and fall mm. and, and then they get an easy sack. And it's just that was just right there summed up my experiences. The bad as, news as,
1: bears, huh? Quarterback. <laughs>
2: yeah. It was it was pretty, pretty bad. We weren't a very good football team. And what happens in small towns like that is we had lots of athletes, but sometimes what'll happen is they'll go they'll actually leave some of the athletes will actually leave the small town and, and go to play junior hockey somewhere. And that's what happened. So ironically, the year after I graduated, we had all these good, really good athletes who were good football players as well, come back to the town. And I think they we went to the provincial finals for nine men football because they bounced back up to nine men football. So it wasn't like Foam Lake was this this weak um, football uh, town because they actually, uh, you know, historically have had a, uh, a bunch of good football teams. It just was during that time period, we we, we lost a lot of good athletes and I just wasn't I wasn't one of them. (laughs) So, so struggled through. But, um, but yeah, no, it's a pleasure to watch you guys, um, do do your thing. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't even the same. I couldn't even step on the same field as you guys.
1: I guess the question everybody wants to know is if I put you on the goal line, how far can
2: you throw the football? Do you think? Uh, that's a good question. I, I actually, my arm strength wasn't, I don't even know what the issue was. I actually could, we should do that. You know what? We should do that. When we get That'd back to playing, guys, we should get out there and the three of us, and I'll, I'll do it for you guys. I'll have to warm up, though, because I'll probably pull something. It's been years. <laughs> two, we'll through. have but, Ryan on site. Yeah. We'll, yeah. Have, we'll have Ryan Raftus ready to go with the ice pack and and whatever the pull tendon I'll, I'll get. So I bet you I could throw out a good 30 yards.
1: Okay, yeah. Well yeah. there you, you have we have it on record now, so I was gonna
2: say mo- I was gonna say more, but but I, I kinda wanna now that I'm gonna do this, I better be careful.
1: Better to shortchange yourself yeah, for sure. Yeah. So deliver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Just talking about foam lakes, um, how big is foam lakes? How many how many people live in foam lakes? Just well curious. Now,
2: now it's um so foam lake now is about twelve hundred people, I think. You know, I I shouldn't even quote shouldn't quote me on on that um but it's it's like b- b- a lot of small towns it, it's you know it's it's held but it's you know had a slow slow decline in population so when i was growing a school there grew up there it was probably about 1500 people um so it's a pretty small town um it's a great place to to grow up you know like any small town in saskatchewan is you, you know it's it's just it's a great great community and i don't get back there a ton i i do in the summer, a little bit more. My, my folks have a uh, a place at the lake, and so um, so actually, sometimes just because of the way you get there, I don't even actually enter the town. You just kind of skip the town and get out to the lake. And and here's the other thing: it's funny. So the the lake, so the town's called Foam Lake, but the lake where everybody goes to where my parents are, placed, is called Fishing Lake, and <laughs> oh, so <wow>. it's it's <laughs> kind of it's kind of ridiculous. But the, but Foam Lake is actually named after a lake that's fairly close to the town and has this natural form forming foam like when you go out to it it's just it's kind of like shaving cream like old school shaving cream foam and it's just kind of all over the lake and so it's not a lake that you would you know have a cabin or do any swimming or fishing or anything in um it's just this kind of got this foam to it and so that's where the name went to but there's this gorgeous lake called fishing lake that's about 15 minutes north of of foam and
0: being being from there and so close to regina and everything you had a relationship with the riders that started at a an early age could you talk to me about that first game you went to in 1989 and kind of the end of it yeah i know yeah, that was a crazy game
2: yeah that was a crazy game so yeah i grew up just absolutely loving the uh, the riders as, as i think any kid grew up in saskatchewan did and and, and i i just loved football like from an early age and, and i think it's partly the strategy and the physicality of it but um I just really, really love football. Like, you know, obviously hockey is very important in Canada. And I never really played hockey. I, I certainly enjoyed hockey, but football was always my favorite sport. And so, yeah, we um, um, didn't, I didn't get to go to a ton of, ton of games. We didn't have season tickets or anything like that. But I, I, I fondly remember sort of game, going to games with my dad. And I, I think the first game that I went to was in 89. It was a game against B.C., and obviously, they, we won our, our, only our second great cup at that, at that time at the end of the season. But that was the game where uh, Glenn Souter, safety, and I talked to him about this, this uh, I've relayed this, this memory to Glenn. And that was the game he took a, a terrible pass interference. We were up and we were leading the whole game. game. He took this terrible pass interference penalty in the, in the end zone and bc got the ball at the one and punched it in obviously and we ended up losing the game and it was just it was just you know one of those heartbreaking moments because it, it was my first game at taylor field and we were winning and everything was going going well and we had a we had a pretty good team that that year although we were sort of nine to nine you kind of knew that we had a we had a really good football team that year and to lose that way was devastating and as it turned out, that was kind of a turning point for the for the team, and and there was a bit of a refocus um, out of that. And there was lots of great stuff coming out uh, last year with the with the um, the uh, anniversary of the of the uh, the eighty Great Cup. So uh, that that story came up quite a bit, and it was a bit of a turning point for for the team. But yeah, I was in the stands there, heard some colorful language uh, after that <laughs> after that happened for sure. Of course.
0: Do you do get, you look back on the words that were like flying around and then when you take a job as a CFO or the CEO and president do you look back on those words you were hearing in the stands and think oh man we I got to be doing my best up here
2: Yeah you kind of do cuz you know how much it means like and and I think that's what's unique about growing up in the province and and sort of just loving the team like I did and and starting really as a as a hardcore fan is you just you know how much it means to the to the province and and to to our fans every game is important and, and the experience at mosaic stadiums uh really really important and meaningful to people and and there's there's some kid at every game that that's their first game just like that was my first game and so you you, you don't want the language sort of element of it but, <laughs> but you want that kid to have a, a great experience and and I really think it's important to to win at home and it's interesting i had this conversation with with J-O and and Puch Dicky and, Coach Dickey and and you guys did such a great job last year of of, of taking care of business at, at home. And we were eight and one at home, as you know, which which tied actually for the best record in rider history at home. I don't know if you guys knew that, but um, so I think it's really important to win at home because of of that experience and, 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 and the advantage we have we have uh with, with our fans. So uh, yeah, so you think about that a lot. You think about how much it means to, to fans, and I, I do think about you know kids going to their first first game, and you'll see the signs of once in a while. My first Ryder game, and you it kind of takes it takes it back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: For I I guess my big question is, as an athlete, a lot of people ask us what our superstitions are, or if we have any game day rituals. As a personnel, especially president and CEO of the Riders, do you have any game day? traditions that you have in your household or any you know pregame meal that you eat and how nervous do you get before games like you're do you feel like you're about to get on
2: the field and start playing yeah those are great questions so i've got a couple so one one is one i don't it's like a reverse superstition so i don't do it anymore so when i first (laughs) first got the job in 2015 was a very very rough rough year and i i started wearing my gray cup uh, ring that we 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 won in 2013 um to the game and we kept losing so we ended <laughs> started the season 0 oh and nine and i wore it for the, like the first three games and then it became like a reverse superstition i said i'm never wearing this to game again because there's something you know <laughs> cursed about having a previous championship when you're trying to win a championship there's something something where you don't want to do that so so i quit doing that and we didn't win right away but but it's just again i haven't worn my great cup ring to a to a game since that's just something i've carried with me since 2015 um the other tradition i have is is with a fan and and i finally got a chance to meet him in person at uh riderville this year this year in calgary but we have this little sort of ritual and and i think i've seen you guys sort of when you warm up and i kind of you know get to the sidelines there and sort of watch the crowd come in and and sort of experience sort of that, that game day atmosphere and and we usually have sponsors and, and members of our board of directors, and you're just kind of having a conversation. And at about three rows up, at about probably about a twenty yard line, uh, you know, there's a group of fans there, and they've been there for for, for years. And this this carried over from the old stadium too. Um, so so one of the fans sort of stands up and he says, "Mr. President," and he salutes, and I salute him back. <laughs> and it's kind of our it's kind of our game day tradition. And I was really worried about in the West final this last year because he wasn't there and i kept looking for him and i kept looking for him and i kept looking for him and 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 as you know the game was was so important and i was like oh my god like what if we don't do this what if you know <laughs> he's not there? And so i started my mind started wandering a little bit and then sure enough i kind of got close to sort of uh you know the end of warm-up and and getting you know close to close to sort of kick kick off and to bring him out and sure enough he was there and i heard heard him yell out that mr president and so i saw him we did we did our salute so but yeah no i think I, the nerves are, are a big thing um for for sure and and i i don't know it's actually a good question for you guys how you how you manage your nerves but like yeah i i'm i'm ridiculously nervous and and as it gets closer to kickoff you get more and more and more nervous and and um you know i was always nervous as a fan but it's just you know when you're you know so much of of the business revolves around around the team and success on the field and and those types of things. So you, so you naturally get nervous. And then there's, there's added nerves about, you know, I sure hope everything at the stadium, you know, no goes doubt. well today. And, and yeah. I sure hope there's not any incidents or I sure hope everybody has a good time or I sure hope the power doesn't go out or some of the yeah. things we've had happen, right? Like you just kind of are a little bit nervous about the game day atmosphere as 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 well. So it's just kind of a natural nerve. So what about you guys? How, how nervous do you get pregame? And how do you manage
1: it? Yeah, for me, honestly, I think, Once the national Anthem's over, I kind of settle in. I usually ramp myself up all the way to the national Anthem. And then I just get settled in until obviously the first snap. Um, We talked about this a little bit on our first episode, but for me, like to get really settled in, some guys have to get hit and some guys have to do something. And I have to see a ball completed over 10 yards. And to me, for some reason, like I can't just throw a one yard completion. I got to see the ball in the air for over 10 yards. And then I'm like, Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm settled in now. And so Isaac, I know, uh, had a little bit of a different take on his nerves.
0: Yeah. For, for me, the, the game days are always a lot more chill for me than practice for, I get, I get more nervous for practice and like seven on sessions than I do for games, games. I just kind of let it all fly. And there's not a whole lot of nerves, more just excitement. And, and cause you just feel prepared. You've watched so much film. And once you're out there, you're the only one who can change things. So that's kind of where like I guess like a quiet confidence steps in instead of nerves. I guess.
2: No, that's good, and I think that's part of it for me too. Is you don't have any control, right? And and not that I'm a control freak by any stretch, but but you do. You know, you just everything's out of, out of your control, and so I think that's that's where I struggle a little bit with the nerves because you're just like, oh, okay, you know, I hope everything goes well both on the field and and off the field, and yet you don't really have any control on on really either of either of those situations to a, to a large extent
0: a couple of projects you had kind of initially going going through for for being the financial officer of the riders you you headed up the 2013 gray cup can you just talk a little bit about kind of that process and how sweet it was to take home a gray cup on the home field
2: yeah that was that was just incredible to be to be a part of to be honest with you and just to be a part of that team that sort of put that together so we had, uh, the way we structure Grey Cups in Saskatchewan is is sort of sort of unique, and it's just building off of our incredible volunteer base that we have. So we have this volunteer host organizing committee, and and so we had um, uh, Dave Pettigrew, who's now on our board, and Mark Stefan, They were sort of co-chairs of the volunteer committee, and so they really look after all the, uh, sort of the events, CFL events, like the gala dinners, and, and the team parties, and, and sort of the street festival, and then I headed up the, I chaired the, what's called the operations committee. So that, that took care of the things that the club normally would, would look after. So that's uh, marketing and, and, setting pricing for the tickets and, and selling tickets, selling sponsorship, all the merchandise associated with the, the Grey Cup, the actual Grey Cup oper, um, stadium operations and the sort of the facility operations. Uh, what else am I missing? Uh, probably missing a couple other, other key, key parts, but those, those, those were the parts that um, sort of we, we looked after. And so it was, it was just great because you got to work with close, very closely with with some really, really dedicated volunteers and they became a really, really tight team. Um, And it was just, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, we don't get to be, you know, you're part of a team um, for sure. and, And I feel that working with the riders day in day out that we're pretty close to a team, but you don't necessarily always have this massive sort of project like a, like a massive game day, like, you know, all the players and coaches have you know you're you're truly part of a of a team as you sort of go out and play a game and i think that's what it felt like to, to me a little bit it was it's kind of a, a true sports moment where we were part of this big big team that had this this big big um you know event and, and game to play and and we really were super passionate about it, it coming off without a hitch and, and being wildly successful for the for the province and then it was just incredible when the club was in it you just knew right there was going to be an, a, a massive success but then going back to the nerves i remember you know the week leading up to it because not only are you delivering the great cup now but you, you want to win it right like yeah i was the <laughs> for the team and and you're like man oh man like i want this festival to be great i want the great cup to be great and, and i know it will be but but man i want to win this game too so i don't know if i was any i've ever been that nervous the night before i went to Bad bed and there's a couple of reasons of the Saturday night a couple of reasons too because everybody from Saskatchewan who was, was there will remember it was it was terribly cold the Saturday um, like it was like minus 35 and and so mm. part of me I was nervous about the game but I was also nervous because of the operational side of it I was really nervous about the stadium and, and things freezing up and it just being a terrible experience and and just it you know the challenges with that and then I remember waking up that morning and going outside was the first thing I did. I just like opened the door and I'm like, Oh, please be warmer. Cause it, it, was, it was, it was saying it was going to warm up and I opened the door and it was, it felt like almost warm, especially after you've been subjected to minus 30 weather. <laughs> um, and so I opened the door and it felt warm to me. And I said, Oh my God, this is just a sign. Like this is going to be a, a great, great day. And it, and it really was.
1: Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine the pressure um, just, you've worked so hard and you just want everything. And you really have one day for all this hard work, a whole year's work of work. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, I hope everything goes right. And then something you can't do anything to change is the weather. And I know I would be freaking out as a player to be like, man, we got to play in this. This is going to be tough. And it kind of changes your game plan. Right. So yeah, that makes, I mean, that would bring a lot of pressure. I think the one thing I do want to touch up, about is you went from a small place like foam lake to arizona state and that had to be a huge transition for you and what what kind of led you to going i guess to college in the u.s and to a big school um, as opposed to kind of just staying local or staying in
2: canada football scholarship
1: Oh, okay. I guess I didn't do that. i just I didn't do any research on that? No, no,
2: no I was just kidding just because I spent the first bit telling you how terrible I was playing. <laughs> yeah. playing football, so, no, I felt like was, a uh, host
1: there. I was like, I should have. Yeah, yeah.
2: No, that. no. In ASU, that was back in Jake Plummer days. You guys remember Jake, Jake Plummer? Oh, Jake yeah. the Snake. Oh, yeah. yeah, Jake the Snake. Yeah. So that was Jake the Snake. He was a freshman when I was a freshman. So, So uh, yeah, that, that was a great experience. Yeah, you know, a couple of things, I guess. It was just partly experience and I think it was I loved growing up in 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 Foam Lake in a small town but it was kind of one of those things I think as I was getting to be a a senior in high school and, and kind of thinking about what the next step is I just kind of wanted a life adventure if you will and I just I'm kind of a change kind of guy I like I like change and I like I like challenging myself and adventures and those types of things and I think just growing up in a small town I just kind of wanted to you know do something a little bit different and and have some different experiences and at the time my my I had been to Arizona a couple times just on on family vacations and so the thought that just appealed to me and, and it really honestly what happened was I just applied there on a on a whim oh wow! like I applied to the U of S and I applied to I think it was UBC um because again I was thinking about well maybe I go to the uh, you know the west coast live in Vancouver and I applied on a whim, and, and and they had at the time I didn't even know this when I applied. They had this international student scholarship program, and I didn't, I didn't even know if Canada would be considered international students. I didn't know what that was for. And they just they they wrote me a letter back and they said, "Yeah, you're in, and you you've got a, a full ride academic scholarship." Um, and it was just because I guess my marks in 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 high school. So so I so then that kind of was like, well, this is you know two years of. Uh, free school in and, and why don't i do this adventure if you know tuition is covered and have this experience but it was quite experienced so like when you think about that like phone link was a town of 1500 and asu had forty thousand students yeah. <laughs> that's just students and so it was it was a bit of culture shock just in terms of the size of it i, I really enjoyed it though I, I loved it and obviously the lifestyle the weather was just fantastic
1: weather yeah that's what i was gonna statua. say you got away from the brutal yeah. winters
2: <laughs> yeah and i'm not a big winter guy i'm kind of a bit of a of a of a wimp that way, like I don't, I don't like the cold a, a ton. So that was that was nice. I think that first year at ASU, I I, I only didn't wear shorts like something three days of, of that year or something. It was kind of a badge of honor for me to sort of wear shorts just because I I could live in, in Arizona. So I really enjoyed it, and it was it was a bit of um, you know, it was tough being you know it, that young, and I was only seventeen at the time because my birthday was in December. And so I had done a, a semester of university when I was only seventeen, and so that yeah, was tough being away from home. But my parents came down, I think, a couple times each sort of semester, and uh, so did that. I got home for Christmas and those types of things. And so, so um, yeah, it was a great experience. I really enjoyed it. It was, it was, and it was good. You, you grow up kind of fast when you're that far away from home, and that was part of it too. I kind of wanted to just. Be on my own a little bit and, and have that experience because if you I would have went to U of S, which I eventually graduated with, and U of S is a fantastic school, you know I was only two hours away from home, and I probably would have went home most weekends or the odd mm-hmm. weekend, and I wouldn't have just had that sort of independence, I guess, and that's kind of what I was was looking for to a certain extent.
0: Yeah, do you think that that uh, experience of having independence and kind of going to a bigger city helped when you made your move to to go to Luxembourg and London and those big cities in Europe for for working later on?
2: yeah it, it really did it, it can it kind of gets you adaptable to change and that's one of the things that i i would say like when you when you move abroad and you, you have sort of these different life experiences like you guys are doing like you know working and playing football in canada like it just broadens your your experience level and you, you just get exposed to just different ways of doing things and and different cultures and 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 different experiences and So that was part of it too. Like living in Europe, it's, it's culturally, it's quite different. And, and, and you learn some, some really great things um, doing that um, about yourself and about, you know, being a leader and, and just change and, and being comfortable with change, being comfortable with, with differences and, and, and different experiences and different people and cultures. And, you know, I think that's really important. And so, so yeah, like London's a whole nother level from Phoenix cuz London's something like 10 million people or something like that. Like it's just it's just huge. And so living there was just a great life experience. It was just I had a I had a love-hate relationship with London to be quite honest with you. Like there were some days I'd be walking around that city and I I'd, I'd just like just so in love with it. I I would just sort of say, "Man, I live in one of the one of if not the greatest city in the world." And then there'd be days when the the tube like the the subway and the, would be stuck and you'd be stuck in, you'd know, be crammed and it'd be delays of an hour and it'd be pouring rain like it does a lot Then you're like oh man this is the worst place in the world to live why would anybody live here and so it was kind of a you know a bit of a love hate but um but it was it was a great life experience and it was great to tour europe did a ton of touring around europe uh when i lived there and and i just really really enjoyed it
0: and and speaking of change and just doing something new i know a lot of times it's it's comfortable to have a Help in hand and having a relationship with someone who's done it before. So when you made your jump to CEO and president after Jim Hobson had retired, what was the relationship like with him? Did you lean on him at all for questions and advice or anything like that?
2: Yeah, Jim. Jim was great. So um you know, I had worked with Jim for well, the the, the almost the six years prior prior to that, um, and the, well, the whole six years prior to that, Jim, Jim was the one who ultimately hired it, hired me. So we had a really really good. Good working relationship, and I I learned a lot um, working working closely closely with Jim, and so it was good. We also had a bit of a transition period. So I think I was named CEO in December of, of fourteen, and actually took over in March of fifteen. And Jim was actually around even that that first that first month. So had lots of opportunities to go to CFL meetings with Jim, get introduced to people uh, with him, really pick his brain on a, on a lot of topics. And then, but Jim was great too. So Jim sort of was, you know, he sort of said, you, you, you know, you've got to find your own way here, 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 to Craig. And I, I knew that too, right? You can't, you can't always be asking for 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 advice. You kind of got to go through your own, you know, your own your own challenges and and, and sort of come into your own in the position. So so I'd reach out to him every once in a while. Um, I remember, uh, you know, a couple times going out to, during that first season, which was a challenge. You'd see um, and Jim had been some through some challenges, um, you know. Of course, uh, when you're CEO, that 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 long. And I remember one time going out to his his place into the lake and sitting on the deck and having coffee with him and just bouncing some things off and having a good con- conversation. So so yeah, no, Jim was super supportive, and it was really it was really good to have worked with with your you know your um, the, the person who did the job before, and you got to watch and learn. And then you go into the job with your eyes wide open, and that was the other thing too. Like I, I saw the. How tough the job can be, especially when the team's struggling or or, or losing, and how challenging that job can be. So I didn't go in there with any you know sort of illusions that this is always going to be fantastic and it's it's always like you know after a big win and that's how you you feel you know 365 days of the year. No, there's lots of challenges to the job. It's like it's like any any job and and um, and so I kind of that was the other thing I learned from sort of watching Jim and sort of seeing you know how. how the, the job is it's full of some challenges as well
1: yeah that's i mean that's some great stuff right there i guess what i would pull from that i mean sp- talking about challenges building a new stadium must have had i mean the success of the stadium and how beautiful it is for guys like me and isaac to be able to play in it um there had to be some challenges along the way but in terms of the stadium is it kind of everything you imagined or did it just kind of exceed your expectation I just want to kind of dive into that a little bit because I personally believe it's the most beautiful stadium in CFL. Um, and it is just, you know, the way they did everything was, you know, A1. Yeah,
2: that was that was amazing. And that was another um, experience, much like the Grey Cup in 13, of just being part of a really great team. So we had this core stadium team and it was, you know, city led. We had lots of folks from the city uh Everest place who um you know or the operators were were involved and then we had heavy involvement and I was I was just so so lucky and blessed to be to be a part of that that stadium project really from the first thing and that first day and that that's a funny story too because speaking of Jim so I was CFO and Jim had received a call from I forget it might have been the Mayor of Regina or somebody and asking him to, or him if we could participate in the meeting around the stadium and he, he says he said called me and he said, Can you go to this meeting about about the new stadium, the city's organizing. I don't know what's about. Just, just go. And from that moment on, I was sort of, you know, on the stadium project, and it was, it was super fun. So one of the great things I think we did there was we took our time, which I think you know is always good when you have the luxury of time, because you can really do your research. Like I'm a firm believer that you should really do your research and you should really study. Th- you know things, and you should really look at who who does things really, really well. And best practice is really, really important to to me, and and I think to our organization. And so we spend a lot of time, and I think myself, I forget the exact number, but it's something like it was over twenty. Like I visited over twenty stadiums and arenas as part of the research for the stadium. And every time you went there, you pick up something. You're like, Oh man, that lounge, if we could recreate that lounge at, at our new stadium, that would be fantastic. Or there was some, you know, football, you'd see a locker room or you'd see some, some element of, of the football space. And you're like, man, oh man, that would be super cool if we did that. And I know JO did a, uh, some independently as, as, as well. He went to a lot of sort of locker rooms and, and football ops facilities and got some really, really great ideas from that. So we were able to like, I could walk through the stadium. and and sort of say okay we got that idea from here we got that idea from there and oh that's from Philly Stadium and and that's from you know that's from uh, the Yankee Stadium and so it was really really cool to be able to do that and to be a part of that and and I agree guys I I think you know we're just super fortunate to to have that stadium that we do our fans really really deserve it and it, it just turned out so incredible, and I I ask the guys all the time, especially the guys who were around when we were in the design phase. I said, "What would you change about the stadium?" Especially, you know, Jo and 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 you know Ryan Pollock, some of the guys who've been around for a while, and they, they always say nothing. They wouldn't change a, a thing about it, and and I think that's a sign of of when you sort of got it right. When there's really nothing that that you would you would change, and yeah, I was curious about your guys's you know just sort of first impressions of when you first sort of saw the stadium, and I guess. You would have seen lots of other CFL facilities, but Isaac coming straight from college. I'm curious what your your impressions of it.
0: I think I kind of have an interesting perspective on it, just because I played Division two ball for for my last year, and we, we played at a beautiful uh, stadium stadium there. But driving up to it for the first time before we went off to camp, I just remember thinking, "Whoa, that is." that's the biggest stadium i've ever seen cuz the only other stadium i've really been to is um soldier field in chicago and i think mosaic is is bigger than that and holds more people i'm i'm not too sure but i just remember being like kind of awestruck by it and like oh i'm going to be able to play there in like a couple weeks that's going to be really cool and then you just go on the inside and the facilities are on a different level than even the outside so it's just like one thing after another hits you when you see it for the first time yeah
1: Yeah, for me, I I would say you know being playing for Toronto and playing for BC like BMO Field is beautiful. BC Place is beautiful, but we never had a practice facility, right? So game days were always what we look forward to. But having a place where you can do everything in one stop shop and it is top of its class really meant a lot to me and i think what i was most excited for was bringing my family through the locker room showing them the weight room like that was the little things where they can see me and be proud of me being a professional athlete and i wasn't able to do that uh in toronto and in bc because i didn't want to take them through the practice facility because it honestly was just you know you know i was living in a classroom in toronto for two years for our practice facility so just to kind of hang your hat on that and be like yeah i'm a professional quarterback and this kind of shows uh that we're treated like professionals and that was my biggest takeaway is just how everything was in its own realm and being able to have my own meeting room in toronto uh the offense had to walk through while the defense had to meet and then the oh. defense had to walk through and then offense had to meet. So right. we are kind of at a disadvantage. I know things have changed now since they've moved completely into BMO, but we were at a disadvantage in terms of game planning wise, because you can only spend so much time watching film. And as a quarterback, I couldn't, Just sit down and watch film in the quarterback meeting room because someone else was probably using it. So I think it kind of deterred my learning a little bit as a younger quarterback. I had to watch a lot of my tape at home, uh, not having access to it. But yeah, I was blown away, and I know my family was completely blown away when I just took them through, and they were like, "Yeah, you you're living pretty good up here in Canada."
2: (laughs) Well, that's good. You guys deserve it.
1: We're gonna move to what we call the two-minute drill. So basically, um, what we do is we're gonna try and ask you a series of questions and we want to see how many questions you can answer in two minutes. So, um, some of the questions are just going to be, you know, uh, there's going to be an answer and some questions are just going to be your opinion. And we want to see how you feel about some things. Um, and the idea Idea is to put you on the spot. They're very simple answers, but when you answer them quick, they can be, get some great responses. Since you are our second person we're interviewing, um, Dan Clark currently sets the record at 19 questions.
2: Oh, I'll never, I'll, I'll never meet Clarky. He's he's got <laughs> that sharp, sharp mind, sharp, sharp wit. I'm I'm too I'm too slow I'm too slow of a thinker.
1: So I'm gonna ask a, a block of questions just so Isaac and I don't have to go back and forth, back and forth. Um, and then once I get through my questions, Isaac will go, and then I will stop the timer when we hit two minutes after you finish that answer. So are you ready for the two
2: minute drill here, Craig? I think I'm as ready as I'll ever be.
1: All right. I'll, I will start the clock after the first question. So here we go. How many people live in Saskatchewan? 1.1 1. 1 million. Where does Saskatchewan rank in largest provinces? Oh, God. Like fifth. What is Saskatchewan best known for? People.
2: What is your favorite movie quote? Oh, my God. Pass. Pass. <laughs> Uh, what's the color of your toothbrush uh blue
1: milk chocolate or dark chocolate
2: milk for sure what's your biggest addiction coffee without a doubt
1: what is a word you would add to the
2: dictionary oh god um (laughs) lol is that a word that's not a word we'll take that we'll take
1: that if you were running for office what would your slogan be
2: oh god that's another good one um Oh, God. I can't even think. What would my slogan be if I was running for office?
1: (laughs) Put you on the spire, Craig. Give me something here.
2: Oh, man. This is terrible. Sort of. Rider Nation Unite. Something like that. Love it. Love that.
1: What supply in your house is running low?
2: Toilet paper because everybody's hoarding it.
1: (laughs) What do you think of when I say the word fruit? Apple. Two things you would change about yourself.
2: Oh, God. I would, I'd sleep better. I'd be a better sleeper and I wouldn't overthink things.
1: Nice. What is a good name for a pet snake? Ralph. Would you
0: rather be hot, too hot, or too cold? Too hot. I hate being cold. (laughs) Breakfast, dinner, or breakfast for dinner? Dinner. Worst thing you've ever eaten? Uh, Rattlesnake. What is working capital in accounting? Oh my
2: god, it, it's, it's, it's what you have available to you when you subtract all your current liabilities for the current assets. Uh,
0: how many feet are in a mile?
2: How many feet are in a mile? I have no idea, actually. We're in
0: kilometers up here, guys, boys. <laughs> <laughs> that was an oversight. Do classic rock stations play ACDC too much? Way too much. Charcoal or gas? Gas. Time. easier. <laughs> oh, I think, you, I think you might have got them.
1: How many did I get? 4, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13,
2: 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. You beat Clarky. Well, I don't, nice. know I don't know how the pass. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how the pass. You'll have to maybe penalize me for the pass. What was the pass one? Oh, uh, movie quote. Yeah, movie quote. Yeah, I think I think it would be you can't handle the truth. I like a few good men that one. That was that was nice. I I will
1: say this. You said one point one million and it was one point one seven four million. That was dead on. Yeah, um, yeah. Saskatchewan rank in largest provinces. It's seventh. I believe you said seventh.
2: fifth. Yeah. Fifth, yes. I and sure. then
1: Saskatchewan, best known for you said people, which is great, but they put down cold winters and grain farming.
2: <laughs> which makes sense. I was sense. gonna say farming. Um and I would have definitely said farming growing up. I grew up in a farming community community, but the um I just think Saskatchewan's changed a lot. I, I think it's 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 way more than farming nowadays. I
1: think that's a good point. Although farming's important, no doubt. Yeah, but I think it's the hospitality. But that comes with farming, right? Most yeah. farmers are their hospitality is a one. So
2: well, they're just down to earth um, people, and that's why. Yep, I said people it's blue collar, no people. doubt. Yeah.
1: Well, Craig, we appreciate you coming on our show, being our second guest, and kind of putting you through the two minute drill ringer here. <laughs> it's been a pleasure.
2: Well, absolutely. Well, thank guys. you so much. Thanks so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun and best of luck with the podcast. Thanks. Appreciate you, Craig. Appreciate it.
1: And that was Craig Reynolds, our president and CEO. I mean, there was a lot of good stuff there, Isaac, and a lot of stuff I learned as a player, just some of the background stuff. And, and it's really cool just to see the behind the scenes thing. So I want to thank Craig for taking the time out of his busy schedule to just join us on our podcast that's just starting out. And I, I hope you as the fans and listeners um, really enjoyed that.
0: Big thanks to the boss man and make sure you stay tuned for next week or the episode of the Rouge report with Cody Fajardo and me, Isaac Harker. Thank you for listening to the Rouge report presented by Young's Equipment, a Rough Rider podcast. The Rouge report is brought to you by Young's Equipment, your Case IH dealer in Southern Saskatchewan. Young's is home to a wide selection of new and used Case IH combines to meet your needs for any size farm. Their experienced technicians and a wide selection of parts will keep you running all season. Go to youngs.ca and use podcast code Rouge, R-O-U-G-E, for your chance to win a rider's prize package.